Richard. I'm very distrustful of Manchester United these days, as I think many of us are. So I'm struggling to fully wrap my head around the concept of us being, in inverted commas, good. It's um, weird, isn't it? It is. I've, I've, I've actually started really looking forward to United playing without that feeling of that, that sort of subtle feeling of dread that's um, been present for most of the last seven years. Yeah, yeah there's less feeling of existential dread when we watch Manchester United these days, isn't there? Yeah, there. Well, yeah, and then you know, I just. Last couple of games, I've settled down, no real fear at all, and just sort of enjoyed them. It's been really interesting. The, the, the first um, kind of fifteen minutes last night, when United weren't very good, didn't really bother me at all. It just kind of felt like, well, you know, we haven't started very well here, but I'm sure we'll start knocking it around like kind of peak Pep Barca attacker <laughs> and, um, yeah. and overpower them anyway. And, if, and even if we don't, then then Greenwood will leather one into the top corner from forty-five yards, and, and all would well anyway. So. Yeah, well, you weren't far off with that, I guess. Uh, anyway, everyone, welcome to this week's Red Voices. As you can imagine, we're still wrapping our head around the concept of Manchester United equals good these days, but we're still really enjoying it. You and Rich on hand to go through Thursday night's win over Aston Villa. A somewhat, well, I mean, I guess you mentioned the first sort of 10, 15 minutes there, Rich. Didn't make for the most wonderful viewing. And I guess how much do we owe this result to VAR? Start off with the penalty, perhaps? It's, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to, to say. United hadn't started well, they weren't playing well. But I've, I've seen Villa three times since the restart, um, three or four times since the restart, and they are just a really bad football team. <laughs> certainly, certainly in an offensive sense, they're just a terrible football team. So you kind of expect when you go away to particularly teams that have got something to play for at this stage of the season, that they're going to work incredibly hard for the first 15, 20 minutes and then kind of blow themselves out a bit. But and that, that did happen to a degree, but, but I mean, certainly the, for, for a team that doesn't score a great deal, going a goal down to a penalty that really wasn't a penalty will have been a pretty um, tough blow. But I'd still have backed United to, to win that game because Villa are terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, going back to that lineup, it was somewhat bold of Solskjaer to choose for the same team for what, the third, fourth game in a row. You know, and that's not because that team shouldn't deserve to play. I think it was just the fact that there was no rotation. You know, Fred and McTominay haven't had a chance to give Matic a rest, or Matic has not been afforded an arrest. And I guess the front three have been in such good form at the minute that it's difficult to pull them out of the side. So, mm. yeah, I'm surprised there were no changes, especially considering that you would say this assignment is nowhere near as difficult as Monday night's game against Southampton at Old Trafford is going to be, especially with the Saints' recent form. So I was surprised to see the same team line up again last night. And again, you know, I mean, I don't want to start off on a negative, but I guess we are. Nemanja Matic, again, especially for those first 20 minutes, it did not help. You know, we talk so much about the problem with United getting pressed, don't we? And when Nemanja Matic isn't necessarily at his sharpest, he is one of the chief culprits of giving the ball away. You know, he's so seemingly unaware of what's going on around him and he can get pickpocketed so easily you know it happened two or three times in the opening exchanges and to be fair to him Pogba was also pretty bad as well you know there was a there was a terrible moment where he took the ball and got his had his uh facing goal and just dawdled on the ball too long Trezeguet took it off him and was somewhat unlucky not to score you know he did well to take it around to Hay and it just clipped the post so there were certainly warning signs you know there was those crosses in the first 20 minutes that Wan-Bissaka just wasn't dealing with There were moments in those first 20-25 minutes where Villa belied their league position. And you do wonder several things in that sort of context. One, what would it have been like if Villa Park had been full and there had been a bit of an atmosphere? I don't think United stroll as confidently through that game after the penalty as they did. And two, 
it's so obvious how bad their mental state is at the minute and how low their confidence is that as soon as that penalty was conceded and scored, they were not in the game. And that was just 25 minutes in. There was still an hour to play. And after that, it was just one-way traffic, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm loath to talk about individuals for United because I think as a, as a team, everybody was sloppy in the first 15 or so minutes. And Villa were clearly pressing very, very high and very hard. And we didn't deal with that at all. I mean, but that is fairly, that, you know, again, as I say, that is fairly common if you, you know, away from home against a, a team that's desperate, that they'll often put an enormous amount of work into the the early part of the game and try and nick something. Um, but as you said, yeah. as soon as they went a goal down, they don't score much and you could see their kind of heads dropped and, you, and also you could see that United's chest kind of got puffed out and then we started to really kind of play a lot more effectively and better. And, and, and the other thing is as well, this, this United team's got so much pace in it, it's made to counter-attack, it's made for counter-attacking situations and once Villa were forced to actually try and um, take the play and, and come out a bit, as a team, it just left them wide open to the, to that counter. Um, I think United were lucky to be two 0 up at half time over the piece, but I think once Villa were kind of blown away by the penalty, there wasn't anything they, they didn't have anything left. Yeah, I mean th- there was a lot, a lot of chat about that penalty, and you know I've seen it several times, and I understand what Bruno's doing. He's done a good job of trapping the ball. It's not a foul. No, it's not. I mean John Moss. I mean. A lot of you need to send a Christmas card to John Moss because, and you included, Rich, mm. a lot of people bemoaning his presence as the referee for this game, but he's given that and it's not been overturned. So go figure. I, I thought it was outside. I thought it was just outside the box as well. It started just outside the box. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those ones where I, I think Roy Keane was right afterwards when he was talking about it that it wasn't the most obvious foul in the world, but it also wasn't, I, I'm not sure it passed bar for the sort of clear and obvious error so mm. perhaps in terms of placement it did but but in terms of it being a foul or not i'm not sure it did but obviously the first the, the, the decision itself was wrong and i mean bruno was having a bad game i think he did have a bad game last night i don't think he played well at all <laughs> and it's just <laughs> still got a goal and an assist as well yeah exactly i mean it's just it, it was a nice it wasn't a nice little turn on the ball but then he just stepped he stepped back to the guy who was making the challenge not an unreasonable he wasn't off his feet and, and he just trod on his leg the foul was um going to be given you could have seen it being given the other way yeah i mean it was a it was a very very lucky break yeah i understand dean smith would be frustrated by that you know it wasn't it was a harsh decision and when you're down at the bottom of the table when things don't go in your favor the initiative can swing away and you lose confidence and you look drained and then you just get overwhelmed it happens to the best teams at the bottom and villa are by no means by no means the best team at the bottom but still that's not necessarily an excuse for how little effort there was in the rest of the game you know you can talk about that penalty decision all you like but you know they were pretty wretched up until maybe the last sort of 10 minutes of the game between that period for a full hour and that was just because we made all our substitutions and they thought oh it's 3-0 and they haven't got those big players that are doing terrible things to us for the last hour let's try and have a go at them Mm. and as soon as United got that goal it was like something switched. Matic wasn't getting pressed in the middle of the pitch anymore, meaning he had much more space. They weren't pressing as high anymore because, again, they seemed concerned about what would happen if we sprang on them again. And United just took complete control of that game. That second Greenwood goal, I mean, there were a couple of instances where lads were you know, weaving their way through several players and going through on goal. And Mason had a great chance that he just sort of hit into the ground and didn't get as clean a contact. But regardless, the way Mason's playing at the minute and the way Mason plays in general is stunning like it, it, i put this on sweat yesterday it reminds me of ronaldo in his one fantastic season and rooney in 09 10 in the sense that whenever they're in the penalty area or whether they're bearing down on goal 
you expect something to happen you anticipate that this is going to be exciting and you anticipate that it's going to be on target and it's going to be struck very well you know there's a certainty a grim inevitability about mason greenwood in front of goal at the minute and that second goal for united how inevitable was that what a shot another great move as well yeah it was and then it was kind of made by martial working really hard to press and win the ball back midway through the, the villa half and then kind of doing the one two and Greenwood hitting it. I don't think anybody who watched Greenwood play for the under-18s should be surprised by any of his goals because he was scoring ridiculous goals every week. And one of the things that is noticeable about him is that he's he's got almost everything. He's probably the most two-footed footballer I've ever seen. And he scores all different types of goals. He could score the simple goals. He can score from distance, create. He can play wide. He can play up front. He literally is a player that's got everything. But if, I think if there's going to be a comparison this almost feels like the rest after the restart it, it kind of feels like Ronaldo at the start of 2006-2007 when he'd gone away in the summer and to the World Cup and, and come back went, went away looking like a kid and came back looking like a man and that's really what's what's happened to Greenwood in the in the three months that we didn't have any football as, as I think as Ollie said he's been on the weights and he looks he's got a man's body now rather than a, a kid's and I think before the shutdown you saw Quite often he had games where he just wasn't involved for large portions of the game. Um, you'd almost not know he was there, oh, on that right wing particularly. And I think it was just because physically he was quite easy to overpower at times and to, to kind of brush off the ball and, and, and stop from being effective, whereas now you just can't do that. And yeah, I mean, to score that goal that he did with the power he did off his off his notional wrong foot was just absolutely ridiculous but as people keep saying he hasn't got a wrong foot he's <laughs> left he's left footed in in name only because he's got two feet which are just both absolutely brutal sure i mean pepper rain didn't have a single chance on that shot it's it's the way that he set himself up and the defense just couldn't get anywhere near him you know they gave him an opportunity what 10 15 minutes previously where he took the ball with acres of space i can't believe they didn't close him down quicker than this and they just let him run at them and it must be a terrifying proposition, but if you afford that kid space, he's going to punish you. You know, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's been paying attention to football over the last month or so, because he is just that lethal in front of goal. He can strike the ball so well, it just crashes beyond you. You haven't got a single hope in hell. And the, I guess the great thing is as well, if is after that first sort of 20, 25 minutes, United could have been two or three up by half time, if not more. You know, Fernandez missed a golden opportunity with a great cross from Shaw after good work by him and Rashford. And, you know, again, Rainer stranded and he just hooks it slightly onto the bar, I think it was. Mm. But another great piece of work. And then Wan-Bissaka with, I mean, he's not going to get an easier chance to score his first United goal than that. Delicious cross by Rasper after the pullback. And he's really got to be scoring that, hasn't he? I mean, I guess, you know, he's a right back. You're not expecting too much in terms of an actual a goal contribution. But at the same time, that should have been him. Yeah, I think he just needed to be a bit brave with that header. Um, there was yeah. a Villa player who kind of jumped with him and there was some physical contact and he almost looked like he kind of closed his eyes and didn't really look at the ball as it was coming in. And that's something he can he can work on. He's had a few chances for United since this season and, and he's put all of them, just absolutely all of them, about two inches past the post. Yeah, I mean, that's something he needs to work on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that goal celebration though because I saw him interviewed by Amy TV and... Man, he gave the shortest sense replies I've ever seen in my life. He seems wonderfully pleasant, just very quiet. Yeah, he does. I, I can almost imagine he'll score and there'll just be a bit of a grin and they'll just stand still. Yeah, he does seem like a really, really sort of like shy, self-effacing, understated kind of lad, which is nice. It's nice. There's too many nice people in this United team now and it's and it's it's a bit unnerving. Yeah. Do you know who may be happiest, though, in who, yesterday's game? Who made you happiest? Score of the third goal. I mean, oh. 
gravy. I mean, it felt like the as soon as Pogba scored, obviously been playing wonderful football, but it felt like the party really got started when we got that third goal yesterday. I'm not gonna lie, and we do we certainly owe a debt to Manchester United target Jack Grealish for not closing him down and giving him the opportunity to just curl one into the far corner with Pepperina once again stranded. But what a lovely goal! Just think back to earlier points in this season, Pogba and Fernandez contradiction and the contrast between what we had previously this season in terms of creativity to what we have now you know mm. Fernandez straight with the corner out Pogba taking two touches and then firing into the bottom corner like that was such placement I mean it was just glorious it, it was genuinely wonderful to watch that moment you know it was so nice to see Pogba get in on the action but not only that especially considering everything he's gone through over the last couple of years if Manchester United are going to succeed over the next couple of years and get anything under all they're going to Pogba is surely going to be at the heart of it and you want a fit and happy Paul Pogba playing for your team because you get moments like that and it makes all of the talk all of the criticism all of the wondering about where his head's at completely superfluous and it was just a glorious goal to watch yeah it was I think um I was saying it I was saying a couple of years ago and people would be talking about Pogba's problems and I always felt it was an issue of and actually he uh, I think Rayola said this that Pogba had no help I think that was the expression he used no help but what I, I felt really that he's been trying too hard because he knows he's it yeah if, exactly if, if he doesn't create that nobody creates and it's it's almost a case of him trying too hard or feeling too much pressure because he knows that it's him or nobody and now we're in a situation and I think in part it goes back to what you were talking about about Villa players closing United players down no team can look at us now and focus on stopping one player or two players there, there are five attacking players plus the overlapping fullbacks that you have to deal with and that inevitably gives each player a bit more space and time because particularly the sort of creative players because they're not they're not double marked they're not they're not ganged up on and I think he's one he's one who's benefited enormously from that because you can see now he's playing his natural game rather than a forced game which I think is what is what's happened a lot in the past the one problem United obviously have and that has to be sorted out is the fact that the drop-off behind these first team players is absolutely gargantuan yeah I mean I guess that brings us on to the Sancho chat to a certain extent doesn't it yeah. you know I think we've all been wondering especially with Mason doing so well out on the right plenty of thoughts about whether or not it's worth spending the 70 80 90 100 million whatever it's going to be on Jaden Sancho this summer but, you know before we carry on with that let's have a quick break Right, time for a quick break and a chance to mention that this week's episode is brought to you in association with the Pitch Sports app. Set your starting 11s, share your predictions and challenge your friends for the rest of this Premier League season to see who's actually any good at guessing scores. So that's the Pitch Sports app on Google Play and Apple App Store. It would be very united to look at the current situation and say, all right, that's good enough because Rashford and Martial have both had large sways of the season out. And Greenwood is still an 18-year-old lad. You know, the more options that we have, the more high-quality options that we have, the better, surely. You know, and you're completely correct in saying that as soon as you take one of those three out of the starting lineup, there is a significant drop in quality. You know, I'm not saying Dan James can't improve and can't get better, and it is nice having a Galo on to get those nitty-gritty goals because he's been excellent at that so far in his United career. But United do need more options and that's not just an up front it's more options in midfield and perhaps another decent centre-back because again there were moments tonight where Victor Lindelof looked anything but a commanding United centre-back alongside Harry Maguire yeah I mean I guess I guess the question is how much is left in the pot after Covid yeah you know but, I mean the thing I was I was reading I think it was Laurie Whitwell on The Athletic yesterday saying that United had forecast losses of something between 100 and 120 million 
quid, which is is a vast amount of money. That's a vast. I mean, and that's at the point where we don't even know when we're going to be allowed to have crowds back in stadia again. So that's that's a huge amount of money, and and that really, you know, the, the club can't wish that away. It's, it's just not there. But on the flip side, one of the things that uh, I can't remember if we spoke about it on the pod or not, but one of the things that United did last summer because they had a huge cash balance going into the summer last year, and they paid for both Maguire and Wan-Bissaka up front, which obviously drained a significant portion of the cash balance. But what it meant was that the state stage payment debt that they had going forward was reduced an enormous amount. Yeah. So it does at least give us some some leeway in, in terms of staging payments for transfers this summer over the next few years. So much comes down to what Dortmund are willing to do. But the wider point, as you say, look at City for the last two, three years. The options they've had out wide, they've had Sterling, they've had Sane, they've had Bernardo, they've had Mares. he's playing Foden there now. They've got two players for every position, two really high-class players for every position on the pitch. Yeah. Except, well, except last season, centre-back. This season, sorry, centre-back. Um, you know, United need to go back to that again. And if you buy Sancho, it doesn't mean anything apart from the fact that you can rest one of your front three every so often. You know, or not. Not. I'm not saying Sancho would be the substitute because he wouldn't. But you could. You can rotate your front. Your front three in, between games. And we need the same thing in midfield as well because the drop off from Fernandez and from Pogba is about as big as you possibly get. And as you say, we do need a centre back. I still think possibly a left back, but that's not absolutely essential at the moment. So it really comes down to what United have got left to actually spell or how United can structure transfers this summer and whether they can really afford to splurge because we're going to have to spend because City and Liverpool are going to be strong again and Chelsea are absolutely doing their boots enough after two summers. Werner's probably the best striker in Europe under 25. ZH everyone's been preening themselves about for the last couple of years and, and Havertz. Including you. Including me and Havertz is I would say one of the four probably best under 21s in the world along with Sancho, Haaland and Greenwood. So, yeah, I mean, I guess part of it is how well United are going to sell, isn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. there's talk about Inter still wanting to negotiate an extension on the loan. United are like, well, if you want him, just buy him. Mm. Because I don't think they want to extend the loan beyond the length of the Serie A season because then he starts playing in the Europa League and United have got an issue. United's ambitions are obviously going to be tempered somewhat by how much money there is in the pot based on COVID and also how many sales they can make. You know, it looks like Roma still want Chris Smalling despite the fact that he seems to have reverted to Maine to a certain extent in the second half of this season. Mm. You know, there's chance for the likes of Phil Jones, Jesse Lingard, maybe Pereira, but I don't see that happening. Maybe Dallow. I mean, there are a clutch of players... Yeah, Rocco, I mean, good. God, if Rocco was back at United this season, something has gone very terribly wrong. And that contract that Mourinho awarded him during his time at the club still looks worse every single day you think about it. But there we go, that's another story. Yeah, I I just think United do have opportunities to improve this squad. But I think the heartening thing is, is that United seem to be aware of that. They're keenly aware of where they need to strengthen. And it does seem, at least um, privately, that United are focusing on still looking at deals for Sancho and still perhaps an attacking player slash right winger to complement mm. what they already have as opposed to resting on their laurels. And that's great because it means there's less pressure on Greenwood to continue to have 15-16 goal seasons and it gives mm. you a bit of leeway if Martial and Rashford aren't able to keep up this consistency. Because despite the fact that they're flying at the minute, that hasn't always been the case with those lads. I think they can keep it up in a team that plays this well but there's no certainties in football. So I think the more plays United can put at the front of the pitch to give themselves a good chance of scoring, vary things up, and of high quality, the better. You know, It's going to be a huge plus for us next season as we try and really lessen that gap between City and Liverpool because that's the aim for next season now, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be. That should be the aim. That should, that's what should be, United should be going for. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think one of the benefits of this um, spell is that it should hopefully 
give the club more... If, if they needed more trust, I'm not sure they did, because they seem to have trusted them anyway, but more trust in what Solskjaer's doing. And having gone seven years without without really seeing a player we'd signed having a massive impact and improving as well, both the team and themselves, we've now had three transfers really out of the four that have made a really significant difference to the first team. We've seen Greenwood improve significantly under Ollie. And I don't think we can say that James has been a bad signing. It's just it's been a good op- good squad option that he is now. I mean, he's been as successful as Angel Di Maria was, and cost a lot less. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, the club should trust should trust Oli this summer in a way that they shouldn't necessarily have trusted three that went before him. So yeah, I mean, I hope like like you say, there's always a nagging suspicion they might say, well, everything's going great. We're not going to spend any money, but I, I get the impression it might just be slightly different this time. Um, I may, may prove terribly wrong, but well, I mean, I, th- I think United now. I mean, they they spent so much time hyping up a transfer privately about Sancho, and I think the football mm. that we're playing at the minute is getting us noticed. And I think the Glazers are much happier to invest in a product that is exciting and interesting than one that is just grinding out goals and wins whenever they can get them. You know, we are not Maybe. scrapping results, are we? You look at the way that the last three, four games have gone. You know, obviously we need to mention that stat that we're the first team to win four games consecutively by three or more goals. But yeah, I mean, I think the Glazers are more keen to invest in a product that is much more interesting than the one that it has previously been over the last couple of years. So that wouldn't surprise me if we start looking at a, a big outlay for this summer. But I guess not only that, you know, a couple of observations from that game. Number one, Pogba getting in the way of Rashford's shot. I mean, it's criminal that Rashford nor Martial score goals in that game because they both came incredibly close. And I don't know, I don't know why Pogba's straying that straying that far offside. But if I was Rashford, I'd be a little bit peeved at him. I guess maybe he just desperately wanted to score that third goal and did so shortly afterwards. I guess it's also the the fear that United are placing in teams at the minute. Despite that slow start, once we got that first goal, you could see Villa just drop off you know, remarkably deep and the worry that we're instilling in teams at the minute is so wildly different to what we've seen over the most of this last decade. And again, obviously we've got so many weapons and tools to hurt teams with at the minute that I think they're finding it very difficult to stop one or two of our players, let alone three to four of them, because there's so much creativity and so much danger in that attacking line at the minute. And it's just, it's so much fun to see. You know, who knows where it's going to take us between now and the end of the season. But it's just, we, we and we've had so many false dawns. It's easy to enjoy this, but have a nagging feeling about how far we can push this. But at the minute, I'm just having fun enjoying watching United again. You know, I can't remember the last time we were as enjoyable or as fun or as scintillating to watch as this. And it's wonderful stuff. You know, and it's, it's obviously contrasted even more considering that the game before Aston Villa United last night was Bournemouth Spurs in which yeah. the away team didn't get a single shot on target I mean the correlations just draw themselves at this point well it's very interesting listening to Spurs fans now and and seeing them saying all the same things that we were saying but you know for Mourinho to have taken that Spurs team albeit one that, that, that did need elements of it refreshing but still one with the quality of that Spurs team we've got and turning it in into absolute bilge is it's actually quite funny well it's not funny it, it gives me it gives me post-traumatic stress but um <laughs> it's very nice to watch it happening somewhere else somewhere else and also to kind of feel feel vindicated because you know we, we took a lot of stick saying that Mourinho was done and he was a busted flush but but he's you know this season for Spurs has played out like his third season at United really it's been exactly the same you know he, he's done it all in eight months eight or nine months he's he's come in said this is a great squad he's had his shave he said I'm the happy one now he's he said my squad's wonderful then he's as the season's gone on and 
results haven't picked up and performances have got worse and worse and worse. He starts singling out individual players, blames everybody else but himself, and, and eventually teams, his teams just decline to absolute bilge, um, which mm. is what it was kind of peak. Mourinho yesterday, apparently that was the first time Bournemouth hadn't faced a shot on target since they were in the championship in 2015. <laughs> and, and and I saw Duncan Alexander and his amazing stats. West Ham's Thomas Suchek has had more shots on target in July than um, Tottenham. And also Suchek is Spurs' joint top scorer in uh, June, thanks to his... Thanks to his own goal against Spurs. Oh, I mean, it's just I listened to I think it's the Extra Inch, which is a Spurs podcast. It came onto the timeline uh, after their defeat to Sheffield United, and I was just clicking my fingers in the air and just pointing, going, "Yep, yep, 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 yep." It, it's just playing yeah. out exactly the same as it did. You know, Mourinho th- thrives on conflict, and at the minute there is none to be had. He's creating yeah. phantoms for himself to battle and. It won't end well, and it's without wanting to sound too altruistic. I genuinely feel for the Spurs fans because we've been there. We know what this feels like. You know, I saw another Spurs podcast saying we're not going to record tonight because I don't want to talk about that shit show. Yeah. I'm just thinking, number one, I should have started doing that at some point during the last couple of years, and number well, we, two, we did yeah, occasionally, didn't we? <laughs> we did Shh, do that occasionally. Shut up! <laughs> We're incredibly uh, professional. And Jason oh, no, really sorry, break yes. us that much. Yes, sir, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the only other thing to talk about there before we get too much too deep in on anti Jose bias, you know, even though it's there and it never will go away because I really yeah. don't like that man. No. Uh, look at the fixtures coming up this weekend before we uh, play uh, Southampton on Monday. Sheffield United, somewhat resurgent Sheffield United, I guess you could say, uh, hosting Chelsea at Bramall Lane, and then uh, Bournemouth are hosting Leicester on Sunday afternoon prior to our game against Saints. How do you see this next batch going? It's really hard to say, isn't it? Um, Chelsea have looked gettable at away from home, particularly since the restart. Um, mm. They were cruising twice against Palace and ended up getting a port- getting three points by virtue of Benteke hitting the inside of the post from about three yards in in the fifth minute of injury time. They lost at West Ham. They've been quite gettable at away from home, but just apart from the West Ham game, really kind of got away with it. Again against Villa, they were a goal down and, and, and really played well for about ten minutes, scored twice and then... Close the game out. Shit the game out, really. <laughs> Shit the game out. Well, yeah, the Sheffield, Sheffield United are in, in a decent moment, aren't they? They've kind of regained their their mojo a little bit with the, the two home wins, although it's not beating Spurs isn't what it was. But but they, they were very good against Wolves, and that would have been a really, really confidence-boosting last-minute win as well. Mm, yeah. I mean, the Chelsea, I mean, the Sheffield United have got... Their next two games are Chelsea and Leicester, I think. So they're going to have a... Certainly play a part in the, in the rest of the season. But United have got the... I think the kindest fixtures between now and the end of the season. I think Chelsea have got Wolves as well, although they seem to be on a bit of a downer. Leicester have got Spurs away, which even even though they're being incredibly crap, they aren't losing at home. And obviously the last day is going to be bananas. as That's the Chelsea Wolves and United against Leicester. So I'm really, really hoping on Monday night, Monday we're going to hear the, the result of the the City cast case and they're going to say that they're banned perhaps for a season. I'd expect it to be reduced. And we can all relax a little bit, but the reality is it's probably going to go to the last game of the season, which is going to be stressful for everybody. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm in agreement. I The longer this has gone on, the fact that it went to Cass... I mean, we knew it was going to go to Cass anyway, because of course City were going to appeal such a massive decision. Uh, I feel less and less sure that City are actually going to be kept to this ban. So, But I don't think that cha- that should change things too much for United anyway. I think we should be... Yeah. We, I, I would 
bet money on the fact that Solskjaer have been pushing United to finish fourth regardless and not concentrating on what may or may not happen with City because you yeah, can't sure, yeah. operate under such restrictions and under such lenience. There's no way you'd be able to motivate a team like that. But yeah, I mean, the Southampton game is going to be tricky for sure. Yeah. You know, they have come back apart from that Arsenal game in pretty good form for the most part in the league, I'd say. And, you know... Obviously, this season in particular, beating Manchester City isn't quite what it was. We've done it three times. Yeah. But the fact that they kept them to 1-0 and got a great goal and then were able to grind out a result like that should be a stark warning to United that we should not expect to have it our own way. You know, they've been mm. very well drawn to Hassan Huttle. I do wonder sure if it's is. time to make a couple of changes, maybe because that, that, I don't know if that 4-2-3-1 is going to be able to craft its way through Southampton. I guess we'll see. Should we have some Twitter questions, though, to round off this fun old pod? Hit me. Here we go. Right. Kicking things off. How many seasons will it take Mason Greenwood to overtake Alan Shearer's Premier League scoring record? <laughs> David is going for two. I think he's going to, let's just say he's going to score an awful lot of goals if he stays fit. I mean, you're not going to give anything more than that. Is that it? Is that I'm, all not gonna, I'm not going to give anything more than that, but it would, such as this potentially would not surprise me were he England's top scorer ever by the time he retires. Fair enough. I mean, Daz Greer has gone one, a, you know, a bit more reasonable. He's asking whether or not Mason will finish top scorer this season. He's only four behind Rashford and Martial. It's not impossible, is it? Which is it's scarily doable. Yeah, I mean, Rashford's not playing particularly well as well. So, um, yeah, it's absolutely doable. Uh, Tariq Amir, do you think Pogba's reintegration has been aided with games played behind closed doors? When he was out injured, there were lots of question marks, but in this setting, fans and players alike can focus on his football. Uh, I mean, it's only been a year since that awful game against Cardiff in which members of the Stretford end were throwing pelters at him and he looked like he wanted to be anywhere else and you just wondered... This has got to be it for his Manchester United career. Contrast that with where we are now, and it's incredible. I don't know whether or not the lack of fans makes a difference, but I do think the fact that this team is creating a lot more is contributing to a much happier Paul Pogba, as, you, as you've alluded to. Yes, I think, I, think, I think the main difference is called Bruno Fernandes. I wouldn't disagree with that. Social distance Steve, how good is Mason Greenwood? There's really a theme this evening. Is he, is he the best teenager in the world? And if you think not, then why are you taking so many drugs? Hmm. I think I said I think he's one of the best four best four in the world I would give him the chance to be the best um, but I think there are there are at least three teenagers who are doing insane things that, well four three teenagers who are doing insane things at the moment certainly Harland and um, Sancho have been doing it for a bit longer so before we start saying he's the best in the world I think we need to give it a bit longer but I've no doubt that he's going to be staking a very big claim very soon Steve's got another one uh, how big an achievement would it be for Bruno Fernandes to win the club's player of the year award despite only joining us in January <laughs> now I did put out a poll on Twitter last night I put four options for who would our player of the year be if the season finished now Rasford Martial Fernandes and Greenwood Rich Fernandes won at something of a canter <laughs> yeah it's, an, it's absolutely inevitable isn't it I can't see any other yeah. way that he couldn't I mean, somebody said that put it on Twitter yesterday but um, that he's now equaled Cantona's goal record from when he joined us obviously I think Cantona joined us in November he's equaled that, that, that his goal record for the rest of that season and it's difficult to say that his impact hasn't been as great as, as Cantona's was in a, in a transformational sense I, I can't see how he doesn't win it to be honest Ken Cross uh, Rashford hasn't found his pre-injury form yet cause for concern I mean, the, the contrast with Pogba is pretty different because Pogba's not necessarily relied on to provide everything at the moment. So I think Rashford's deficiencies, you know, quote-unquote deficiencies are a bit more stark. But the thing is, if he wasn't providing or delivering good crosses or passes, I'd be far more concerned. Mm. It's not like he's missing absolute sitters and he's completely bereft of confidence in front of goal. You know, it, it will come. And I think given the odd 
setting for football these days, the way that everything is set up. It wouldn't surprise me that he'll benefit from the season ending, having a couple more weeks to get sharper with a bit less pressure on the games coming thick and fast. And obviously the importance of these Premier League slash cup games to United season and what mm. we want to achieve and actually coming back fresher in the new season perhaps not having to play every single game which he's currently having to do uh that james boy our united fans too quick to revert to hating the team when we haven't won the game in 19 minutes i think we are hardwired to recognize and react to poor performance like i said i i'm slowly growing to to look forward to united again and part of that then is how you react during matches and you know the the first 15 20 minutes last night didn't have the same impact on on me as it would have done four or five months ago um, it yeah. was just it was just a case of okay we're playing a bit badly here it will be a nuisance if we concede but I'd still back us to to score two or three goals um, sure. so you just kind of relax and there was a degree of that when in Ollie's first few months I think we didn't we win something silly like fourteen out of the first sixteen or something didn't we and there was a point then where I started to to relax and look forward to games and I don't think this is quite the same in terms of it being built on sand but yeah it's the same process it's, you know you start to trust your team don't you and if your team is performing well week after week then you you go into games and the expectation they will and you're not as quick to think oh christ it's happening again it's built on sound foundations yeah we've had several years mostly several years of very low expectations of the team and but still having you have a little glimmer of hope that something will change and something will change and the next game will be better and when it's not you just get that familiar sinking feeling again whereas now got a team which we think can go forward and be a lot better and so i think that that's that's easing uh, a couple more Alex Wormel how many games do we keep the same starting 11 for changes for Hampton perhaps I mean I think so we've got Crystal Palace three days after that and then three days after that I believe we played Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final so th- there's no way Solskjaer can flog that team for another three games straight he's gonna have to make a couple of changes I wouldn't be surprised if Fred slash McTominay come in for Matic and we make a, a starting 11 based on the fact we might not be getting as much as the ball it depends how games go, doesn't it? Because one of the one of the fortunate things with the five sub role and also the way the last four games has gone is he's been able to pull off all his best players after an hour to seventy minutes. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, then they're not actually playing ninety minutes. So does that ring as true? I think it wouldn't surprise me if you pick the same team against Southampton. But if we're not, if if we do have to go to ninety minutes with the core of the, our best players, I would then expect there to be some changes against Palace because three days I think is too much to to be able to chuck out the same team twice after they played 90 minutes but he uh, my, my mate was uh watching watching the game last night and he uh he went out i think he had to pop out to the shop for five minutes after after the hour or so and he got back and he said because he's basically now loaded his fancy team with the united attacking players and he came back and he said <laughs> i can't believe it he said, he said absolutely none of my players are on the pitch anymore um so yeah i mean it's like as long as we as long as we're playing kind of 60 65 minutes those key players i don't think he'll change them but the first time we have to go to 90 minutes i think he'll be forced to make that change last one for this week uh Nitin naik uh, will we score a headed goal again i mean considering that two of our three goals yesterday were from outside of the area and mason greenman has now scored four goals from outside the area which is the most anyone scored i think from open play this season in the league it is who cares yeah marshall scored with a header at chelsea didn't he i think that's the last the last he one did. it was a lovely goal as well it was yeah i think i think my, my feeling on this is that as long as we keep scoring give a shit that's fair enough. Right, Rich, we leave it there. Cool. 
Right, that's us done for this episode. Thanks for your company this week. Hope you're all prospering. And don't forget, you can get us all over Twitter. You can get me at at Ewan Leonard, Paul at Paul Gunning One, Rich at Rich Red Voices, and the podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And finally, don't forget to download the Pitch Sport app on Google Play or the Apple App Store if you fancy pitting your wits against friends and fellow United fans with your spot and score predictions and your starting exercise. And we will catch you after Southampton on Monday night. Take care. Bye. 